Hello, folks. If you run, volunteer with, give to, or serve on the board of a nonprofit organization, you're likely feeling the pressure right now. We are recording this in the middle of the coronavirus crisis for future reference. As someone who has supported and been a part of several important nonprofit organizations, I wanted to reach out to a friend of mine who has tons of experience in helping nonprofits navigate chaos. Art Bavoso is the founder and president of Third Sector Enterprises. His professional experience in the nonprofit field spans many decades and includes senior level positions at Partners Mentoring Youth, Larico Youth Homes, United Way, Colorado State University, and the Health District of Northern Colorado. Art is a specialist in strategic planning, group facilitation, and all aspects of fundraising, including donor qualification, capital campaigns, and planned giving. Art Bavoso was also the recipient of the Administrator of the Year Award from the Colorado Juvenile Council and the Service to Mankind Award from the Overland Sartoma Club. As we discussed the impacts of the coronavirus on nonprofits, I knew I had to have Art on the podcast. In this episode, he gives boards, directors, and nonprofit managers sage advice on how to deal with this combination health crisis and recession. So without further ado, here is my interview with Art Bavoso. This is Tyler, and you are listening to the Analytive Podcast. Art, thank you so much for being willing to have this conversation with me. Um, I reached out to you because you're one of the people who I trust very much when it comes to nonprofits and you know nonprofit leadership and board development and all those things that are super, super relevant right now. Um, so it's an odd time, right, for nonprofits. I mean, there's uh, unprecedented, I think might be an understatement, right? This is a very, very weird time. So any thoughts, you know, for executive directors, nonprofits, people listening, what are your sort of opening thoughts of where are we right now and what can we expect to see? Well, thank you, Tyler, for that. And thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to speak to the people who are out there on the front line. You know, if I say anything, I want to extend compassion and support, you know, to the front line uh, first responders. You know, the nonprofits are doing the same kinds of things it may not be working directly as the healthcare workers are. Thank God we have those, but our nonprofit people are out there. And so I think it's just great. I admire their courage and determination in very difficult times. You know, there's no easy answers or magic pills. There wasn't before and all the things that I've gone through difficult times and there really isn't a magic pill here. You know, uh, I've been through the gas crisis. That seems like that was like back, you know, a hundred years ago in the 70s, but it actually had an impact upon the delivery of services for nonprofits. We had to get creative on that. There were severe government cutbacks in the 80s, in the early 80s. Uh, President Reagan had been, had been elected and they started to cut back seriously on federal government stuff. So all of a sudden there was a shock to the system. We had to deal with that. 1987, the financial crash happened and boy, it was just seemed like it was overnight. I mean, the market was really low at that point relative to where it is today, but the impact was still gigantic. I, was, I happened to be at United Way at that particular point in time. We really had to put our thinking caps on. And I'll talk a little bit about that when we get later in, in the podcast. The 2001 downturn right after the attack and everything was significant, and there was fear. There was fear at that particular point in time. We didn't know if who was gonna be subject to the next terrorist attack. So there was that element that was out there. The 2008 recession that we had, you know, happened kind of more slowly than this, but it still had a, a lasting impact. And, and not only on our clients that were trying to be served, but the staff and the volunteers. So it was unfortunate times. And this one is like instant health crisis, instant recession. When you look at those, those figures, they're, they're staggering. So there's no doubt about it that this is very, very serious and probably the biggest crisis that I have faced in, in my career so far and all the people who were out, out there. I mean, I'm not on the front line anymore, but I'm still trying to be supportive of those frontline troops. And what I have to remind myself every day is uh, press on. You know, in the face of everything, you press on. 
You know, FDR once said, I think it was in 1938 when he was inaugurated, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And, and in these days, fear is there. It just permeates everything. So we have to really put our heads down and go forward. So once again, I support everybody as first responders. I think you've got, you people are great. You're going to do well, but we got to get creative. So that would be my opening comments to people. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Art. So as leadership of nonprofits, you know, looks at the landscape, you know, they look at all this, they look at the fear, they look at revenue streams drying up, you know, what would you tell them? Like maybe, you know, tactical, tactical, you know, practical steps that they can really start to take to, you know, either mitigate or sort of evaluate. Cause I, what I'm seeing, at least on the business side is, you know, there's a lot of sort of uh, knee jerk reactions happening. Everyone, because there's so much uncertainty, a lot of people are just, you know, making decisions without a lot of information. And so for those of us who have to make decisions without that information, um, what would you say, especially in the nonprofit space? Yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. I, I think a couple of things first to set the context in which this is happening, you know, unchosen change is always difficult. Okay. It's more difficult to deal with than chosen change. And that's difficult in and of itself. So you need, people need to know that the staff, the volunteers, in addition to the clients, they're really going through that grief process. Okay. So there's an element of sensitivity that needs to come about. It may not be spoken about. People may not talk about it, but you know, they're going to deny it. They're going to feel isolated. They're going to get angry. They're going to get into maybe some bargaining mode. They, they could even be depressed and they're going to bounce back and forth on this. They're not necessarily going to be going through this. So I think it's important on the part of the leaders of an organization, the board, the executive director and other staff members to be very sensitive to this with other people. Okay. To talk about it, maybe have discussions because those are the people who have to be serving the clients. So they need, they need to be attended to. This isn't something where we just, put our heads down and go, we need, they need to be, there needs to be conversations about that. And leaders need, need, need to acknowledge that, that that's important. So um, along those lines, uh, one of the things that I, I recommend, and I, I, I referenced this from the Leadership Challenge by Kuz and Posner, okay? I've looked at that and I've kind of looked at what they've suggested in general and kind of made some maybe adaptations to the, to the nonprofit field. First thing is clarify values, okay? If you don't have values in place for your organization at this point, now is the time to put that in place, okay? Because values are the lens. Those of you who may have been through some of my strategic planning sessions, I use the Drucker model, and at the center of that are the values of the organization. Once again, it's a lens through which decisions are made, and so, the organizations need to align actions with those values that they've developed. So if they have them, great. Refer to that when you start to make actions. If you don't, develop those. What are the values that we're gonna have for this organization as we go forward and how will our actions match up to those values? The next one is imagine exciting possibilities. In spite of the current darkness, you know, we're going to get through this. This is going to end. We're a great country and we're going to, who knows when it's going to happen, but we're going to come through. And so don't stifle that imagination. Let, let imagination be there. Let think of different option, options and opportunities. Enlist others. And here I'm thinking specifically of donors by appealing to shared aspirations. Remember, most organizations that are working right now they already have donors that have stood up and said, I want to support your organization. For whatever reasons, they've stood up and supported those organizations. Most of those donors are not all of a sudden going to turn their back on your organization, even in spite of terrible times, okay? Because hmm. they want you to survive for whatever reason they're involved. It's not going to be 100%. So you need to make sure that you are finding ways to bring those donors either into the conversation or to basically, you know, enlist them in whatever activities you need. Uh, once again, look for internal ways. This is a good way now to improve internal systems and process. Maybe you've already done this, but if you haven't, take a look at all of your internal systems and processes and look at how you, you can improve. Foster collaboration. 
build trust and facilitate relationships. And this is mostly with outside organizations and agencies. If you've not been in the habit of working collaboratively with organizations, now is the time to do that. In a little while, I'm gonna talk about the variety of different shared relationships that one can have. But this is, this is part of what, what needs to happen. Strengthen the staff and volunteers by developing their competencies. Encourage them to do a job that they may not have done before, but are needed, okay? Or everybody can chip in, okay? I remember back in 19, uh, 1980 when, those, when that crunch came, I was executive director of Larico Youth Homes, and we were receiving less government money, so we had to really get lean and mean, and I ended up pulling shifts. I had to be a youth worker because we didn't have enough funds to basically do the youth work. And I had to do both jobs. I had to continue to be the executive director as well as uh, watching the kids. That's just what was called for at that particular time. So there may be other staff members or other volunteers who can help out and help out in jobs that maybe they're not totally qualified for or competent with, but they sure with some assistance and training, you know, can do it. Um, as I mentioned before, know that everybody's going through changes and be sympathetic to them. Okay, be easy with people. Uh, there's a tendency to want to just, you know, how come you're not toughing it out as much? You gotta, you gotta keep your team together. Recognize contributions and show appreciation. The pat on the back, good work, the statements always go a long way. And celebrate the victories. That doesn't mean we can't be celebrating things as small or whatever they are. So take that as a ritual to basically take time to celebrate the victories. So. I see that as a backdrop within which, and I thank the Leadership Challenge people who wrote that, and I think it's really applicable to what we're going through at this particular point in time as a start. Yeah. Awesome. So a follow-up to that, right? So a lot of, especially the first one about, you know, clarifying values. So if a nonprofit isn't at a point where they've really sat down and defined their values, but now they're running 100 miles an hour, you know, phones ringing off the hook, emails, you know, budgets are drying up. How can they do that in the midst of chaos? Because it's easy to look back and say, well, yeah, you should have already done this. But if they haven't done it, I mean, how do they, how do they set those or embody those, you know, in the middle of all this so that they can then align actions to that? Because they have to take action. So if you haven't set those values, how do they do that in chaos? It's a good job for board members. Mm. You know, the board members aren't on the line every day. So the board could step back and take a look at that. They could be among themselves doing that. Of course, you don't need all the staff members at that point in time. You might have the executive director participate. And obviously everybody at this point in time is participating through email. Granted, everybody's got their own jobs and so forth. But once again, this is where people need to step up if board members or other volunteers are gonna help. Having the values that that organization stands for and represents so the actions can be seen through that as a lens will be helpful. It will make everybody in the organization feel more comfortable. So I think it's a job. It's a job. It would have been the job anyway for the board members, but I think it's one of the ways that they, they can help out immediately. Gotcha. So if an executive director is kind of, you know, feels like they're drowning right now, that might be something where you appeal to your board and say, hey, we have some hard decisions to make. Maybe let's have a conversation, you know, even via, you know, telephone or Zoom, yeah. like we're talking right now, like yeah. what are our real values, especially organizationally, and then map the big strategic decisions, especially the hard ones back against those values. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, awesome. yeah. So, so with, with what I mentioned about the leadership, the, the kind of the cultural piece, let me talk a little bit about, inter I'm going to talk about internal organizational structure and then external. So, in the internal organizational structure, and those of you, once again, who may have uh, been at a seminar that I've worked at, you know I'm a big fan of the capacity building competencies, okay? It's a list, it's a checklist that we use. And in good times, what we've talked about is organizations who can make all these checks, you got a better chance to get more results and you got a better chance to raise money. I don't think that has changed. Hmm. It's something to look at. It's a reference point to look at, okay? what is in those organizational capacity building competencies, and I'd be happy to send anybody the whole complete list, okay? But some that I wanna point out that are really important, you need to have a written marketing and communications plan. If, if you don't have, at this point, a written marketing and communications plan, you gotta do it. If you don't have a written fundraising plan, you gotta do it, 
okay? If you have it, then you can refer to it. You can go back to it, okay? And so that's really important to, to keep in mind, okay? That you can do that, okay? So let me ask you a, a quick question on that. So again, if you're in a position where you don't have that yet, um, I mean, is this something that you can write up one page or, I mean, is this a deeply researched plan? Like, oh, what do you it, suggest, it, folks? It, it can be on a napkin, you know, okay. right? It's that everybody agrees to it, right? Everybody agrees to have that. And the other thing is, is the time frame for these can be 30, 60, and 90 days. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be for a year. Who knows what's going to, it's like, what are we going to do in our marketing and communications for the next 30 days? What are we going to do for our fundraising in the next 30 days? What about 60 days? What about 90 days? What about for six months? You know? Yeah. But make it written so everybody understands that this is what needs to happen. Okay. Who can do that? Well, that could be the job of an executive director, or once again, that could be something that the board could be working on. They usually work on that too as well. It just depends how much, you know, every, how much the, the people are answering phones and trying to do their daily jobs. And I would suspect at this point, when we're doing this, uh, this podcast, that people are already into it. I mean, this isn't something that's happened. They're into it. Right. So, you know, two weeks ago, we're good. But now, once again, they're into it. So I realized that some of this maybe, well, we're past that already. But I just want to remind people how important it is as, as they go forward, you know. Um, so I think that's, I think that's, that's something to, to keep in mind. Not in place, already do it. Um, I want to also talk about internally about budget. So when, in 19, 1987, when, when that uh, crisis hit, I was at United Way. Mostly all the fundraising at that time was done through companies. We didn't have a lot of big givers off on the side. A lot of, most of the giving was through companies. So we were very concerned that obviously the companies, their giving would go down, okay? And so, and some of it did, but what HP did was a great example. Rather than lay off people, they cut everybody's salary. Hmm. I don't know the exact amount, but they may have cut it by 10%, 20%. And we're seeing that today as a strategy. So internally within nonprofits, I think one of the first things to look at is maintaining staff, okay? The, the preservation of resources, whether it's people and money, should be paramount. And HP did that, and it, when it came back, they had all their people in place. They didn't have to go out hiring people, and they, in essence, were ahead of the curve there when things started to come back. And I think the same thing is true here. There's a tendency to look at laying off some lower people on the scale or whatever it is, look at cuts for everybody. Try to keep as many people in place as possible. If you need to, double up on jobs, okay? Like I said before, people may be doing some new jobs, but try to keep people in place as much as possible, even if they're getting less funds. Now, somebody may say, I can't stay around. I got to go on on unemployment. Okay, fine. If that has to happen, then maybe that's better for somebody. But the point is, give people that opportunity to, to cuts on that. So yeah. I mentioned about the 30, 60, and 90-day plans. In general, with the budgets, you got to decrease your burn rate. So you got to look at expenses. Can you put off expenses that you were thinking would be important to do? Can you actually contact vendors that you're doing business with and say, hey, can we put off paying you for 30, 60, 90 days? What leeway can you give us? on our particular budget. Try to do whatever you can. Maybe there's no mileage reimbursement for employees if some people were getting mileage reimbursement. Maybe you don't buy office supplies. These may be obvious things that people have already thought about, but I just wanna remind people to do those kinds of external expense review. But the most important one is try to keep the staff in place as much as you can. Okay. Yeah, I know even internally, we've, at Analytive, I mean, we've canceled a bunch of software packages that the truth is we didn't even need in the first place, but they just sort of built up, you know, over time, right? Little expenses that are recurring that don't get canceled. And right. so we saved a good chunk of change on stuff that we don't even need. Like it's not going to hurt us in any way, you know, but even if it's, you know, just a few percent of your total budget, but that can really add up, especially in a time of a crisis. Sure, absolutely. And, and, and once again, from a donor perspective, you want to assure the donors that you have taken as much as possible to basically pull in your horns and then, then they, you can tell them that and then they can help, you know, depending upon what those needs are, okay? 
One other point is you look at your overall, typically people look at percentage of income from government, grants, fees for services, earned income, and donations, okay? Now, usually what happens in these, the first impact is obviously on giving from individuals and so forth. They're the ones that are most impacted. Government tends to, in the early stages of this, tends to still have money. In the latter stages, they don't because they're predicated upon tax dollars. So as tax, tax dollars go down from the court, from downturn, the government has less money. So you wanna be able to maximize, keep, keep yourself really alert to opportunities that the governments are putting out for funding, okay? Even if it's just short term, at least it's gonna get you to, through these 30, 60, 90, you know, six month deals, uh, six month plans. And so look at government, also grants, you know, Maybe in the past you've been, and this is the way we train people, is be picky. Don't, don't apply to anybody if you're not close. Well, maybe you need to step up those, those, uh, those appeals. Try to write as many grants as you can. Just keep sending them out. Have somebody just, all they do is look for grants from foundations. Because what's going to happen right now, they may be pulling in, but if they've advertised, down, you know, they may still be able to fund you in a few years from now. When they're trying to recover, they may not be. So they're available now, okay? And they may not be available later. Fee for services. Some organizations do charge. Obviously, in tough times like this, it's hard to all of a sudden charge more for the same services. But the maintenance of those services or some discount for services is clearly well within bounds. You know, my dad would always say, half a loaf's better than no loaf. And you know, <laughs> that is true, yes. And so if you need to cut back on your fees, you want to keep your customers coming. You want to keep them going. Fact that I didn't into the budget plans, okay? Um, so, that, and then the last, the last one is earned income. You know, I always think of the Girl Scouts and the Girl Scout cookies as earned income, okay? Are there ways that your organization can develop some earned income projects that would help supplement? And maybe this is something the volunteers can look at to help out. Okay, maybe it's true in-kind donations that before you didn't think you needed, but now you can get some in-kind donations and seek that out, okay? So this all gets to being creative and clever, you know? Uh, try to stay away from the fear. Don't look over the cliff, but try to figure out how you're gonna come up and, and get some positive solutions, okay? Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's my suggestions for intern. Great, um, so then, Externally, let's move to external, right? Yeah. So that's a lot of the internal stuff and we could dive deep on that. And I think I want to dig into like true fundraising and how to do that and yep. some of the tactics a little bit later. Right. Um, but let's look external, right? So what are we seeing externally, right? So you've taken care of your people, you've cut budgets, you've done what you need to do. Now to all the donors, stakeholders, customers, you know, members, whatever that looks like for your particular organization, how do you approach them? What do you say to them? Like, you know, right. talk through some of that. Sure. So the first stop that I would go at is actually other agencies who are operating in the same field as you might be, okay? And you probably, many nonprofits already have had this. When we look at shared resource relationships, there's really five that have been identified. Communication, and, and this is kind of in, in going up the scale. Communication, contribution, coordination, cooperation, and collaboration, okay? And I want to, um, it's gonna grab here, a little bit of detail. So communication, right? Basically just exchanging, exchanging information. I'd imagine that is the lines are burning up at this point in time between organizations and nonprofits. They're probably doing a heck of a lot of communication with each other. So you know? Art, if I can ask you, so these are between organizations? Like yes. how, how organizations yeah. interact with each other. How organizations can interact with each other, okay? Because there's resources there. Mm. In the eyes of the community, they may see five, this is an example, they may see five youth-serving organizations. And they've always probably said, how are these guys working together, right? Well, now is the time, if you haven't been working together, to kind of crank it up, right? Yeah. So communication, I'm sure people have been doing right? That's probably happening. But what about contribution where there's an informal relationship between agencies where they're each providing some type of resource or some sharing 
to meet similar goals, right? Because at the end of the day, the preservation of one or both of those is very important, okay? They could occur ad hoc. It could be just now for the next three months or six months that a couple of agencies get together and try to plan together, okay? Rather than plan individually, they might come and plan together. When they do those 30, 60, 90 days, they could come together and, and, and plan collectively. Can you chat? Coordination is yeah, can you? Real quick, can you give an example of, I mean, hypothetical example of contribution, right? Because I think, you know, I know what contribution the word means, but I'm having trouble, I guess, imagining it between well, two let's organizations. Let's say, for example, from backdoor operations, like in other words, just on the purchase of supplies. Oh, okay. Right. So maybe people could get together to purchase supplies together. There's more power working together than individually. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. That's just one that comes to mind, right? And there could be contribution on staff, right? Staff uh, could be working at one place and staff could be working on a second place. So in other words, you've cut everybody back, but maybe they could be sharing. They're working here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but they're working over there Tuesday and Thursday. Mm, gotcha. Right? Okay. And this is when we get to coordination, where it's more deliberate. There's more joint action that actually occurs. It's not just talking. There's actually a plan. There's actually some some sharing of those resources, okay, that actually makes it work better, okay, and it creates more efficiency and effectiveness, okay. So those three right there, if, if people only go to better coordination and try to share some resources, I think at the end of the day, that's going to be helpful to a lot of people, okay. You know, the next two, cooperation and collaboration, are just even more we, organizations are working even more closely together. So it's possible with cooperation and collaboration that rather than an organization go under because they don't have enough of the kinds of support that we just elaborated before, rather than their mission go under, they look around and now they start to work really closely with another organization. Okay, that is closely aligned to them. You know, I don't want to make some suggestions for Northern Colorado who that might be. But I mean, I think when you look at United Way and you look at the, the affinity groups that they've put together that they've been working on for quite a while, that to me would be a natural way to look at it. How mm -hmm. are those affinity groups working closely together in each of those different areas that United Way had identified way back when? Maybe they still are. So by so, affinity group, I'm not familiar with that term. I guess that's almost like a uh, non-profit. That's my term, by the way. It may not be what United Way is used, but it's like where organizations are clearly working closely together with the same population. So maybe right. we all serve pets bags. or we all serve food youth. Or we, we, all have, serve, we have yeah. the shelters. That's one affinity. We have all the youth groups. You know what I mean? But those yeah, are yeah. the ones that can you, can they, if they're not already working together or if they are working together to go even deeper into their relationships with each other, okay, mm -hmm. right? And I think that message to donors will really play out well because the donors will say, you've, you've not only looked internally, you've tried to cut as much as you can, you've saved the staff as much as possible, but now you're actually thinking about working together, not merging, you don't have to merge, you can work together collaboratively, cooperatively, to try to get, have the missions of these organizations work during this critical period of time. Who knows how long it's gonna go? Is it 30, 60, 90 days, six months, a year? After that, when the dust settles and the all clear comes out, you can go back to serving the way you did. But it's a way to possibly get through this next critical period of time. Yeah, so I guess any um, tips, I guess, on the, you know, the board level or the executive director, because there's a lot of, you know, pride, I think we all have in organizations that we're a part of, you know, this is how, how we've done it. So as you approach these conversations, obviously, it has to be done with humility. But any, you know, I mean, is it just a matter of picking up the phone and talking to that other executive director? I mean, is there? Yeah, I, guess, I mean, there's, there's, I have, uh, and, and once again, I'd be, I'd be help, helpful to, uh, to share, I'd be happy to share with people. Um, I have a uh, whole list somewhere. Yeah, we can and throw a link. I have, uh, to I the have third a whole list of questions. Though. Okay. That when you put people together to try to get a win-win situation that they can work, they can work through. Okay, and I, once again, I'd be happy to share that with people for sure. You know. Yeah. So great. Awesome. But, there, but but yes, how would it start? 
it would start with a phone call or start with an email between an executive directors or between board members, you know, and that's, once again, that's why I started with internal, start internally, and then look externally first to the other agencies that are in your affinity group or whatever you, whatever you want to call. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. And then related to that, you know, taking communication even more broadly um, out to communicating with stakeholders, yeah. I guess, tips or feedback on how to communicate right now, how organizations approach right. that? Yeah. So, so this would be the resource development part, but, with, but it's within the context that I've been talking about. So the first thing is looking at motivators for giving in general. Well, you know, why do people give to charitable causes? Typically, people are motivated to give to charitable causes because they're moved by altruism at the same time they're hit with skepticism. Okay. It's an interesting alchemy that goes on. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? I get the first part. The second part, so what do you say, mean by for that? Example, let's say, for example, you're walking, on the, and, you know, you're walking along the street and you see someone, you know, in, uh, begging for sure. funds. Mm -hmm. You're altruistically moved. But what happens to your head? It says, where's the money going to go? Is the money going to go to buy drink or cigarettes or is it what's going to help? Right. I mean, that's. Right. You no, know, a, a crass example, but it's one that maybe maybe comes home. There's there's others. So people get moved to altruism at the same time that their head kicks in and they get skeptical about it. So how okay. do you bridge the gap? How do you bridge the gap? Typically, the way you bridge the gap between those two is relationship, right? I know, for example, that the people who are homeless or whatever it might be are getting help at various different places. And so, cause I have, and I have, I know about those places. And so I'm, I know that I can refer that person or I can help that person to go to, to receive services. A lot of the churches provide services, right? So you know that they're going to get taken care of in the right way. So relationship helps to build that bridge. And in good times that works. And none of these motivators are better than the other, but they are at play psychologically in people's minds. Okay. Whether we admit or not. The next is incentive. Do they have an incentive to give? Now, I want to go back to 1987 at United Way. We had a great a campaign chair that year, kind of a realtor who was just a go-getter. And what he decided, what he suggested to do, why don't we get a car to raffle? So we talked to one of the local car dealers and got a car. And that car raffle still exists today hmm. for United Way. But what was it doing? It was encouraging people to give, but it was giving something to them in return. They were getting a chance to receive, get in the raffle to receive a car, right? Clearly, we want higher level giving than that, but it brought in money. Right. And it basically saved the campaign. So at a time that I described before, where obviously there were problems, and this was in 87 and 88, because the 87 crash occurred in October, and then that filtered over still into 88. So this, this in creating incentives to people is really a, a good way to motivate. So once again, what incentives can nonprofits develop in inside their own thing to basically help them out with fundraising, right? That's one way to look at that because they, they could be doing that, right? Um, recognition is always important, okay? Not times everybody doesn't want recognition. So if you don't have recognition opportunities going right now, is make sure that you do that. Um, you know, sometimes uh, guilt helps, you know? I mean, when you're talking about it, a lot of people still have, not, everybody, not everybody's getting, getting hit with it. So maybe making sure to let people know, hey, there but for the grace of God may go you, okay? So there's those different, there's those different factors at play that nonprofits need to keep in mind in their messaging that they're gonna put out and in their actions that they're, that they're going to do. Okay. Gotcha. So Great. that's an important part to keep in mind. In addition to messaging is always the mission and the vision. Don't ever lose that. Like I mentioned earlier, that's, that's appealing to people's, um, you know, higher instincts. So th even though we're talking about these other motivators, don't, don't lose in the message. Don't lose those higher callings that are important to do. Um, typical other, other fundraising tools, I think still applicable. Email, asking people to donate you know, directly, right? Anything counts, anything. 
Anything you can give is going to be helpful. And the other thing is trying to get the credit card donations going or even mm -hmm. the ACH debits, right? No, don't just take one contribution. Try to encourage people to sign up. I mean, I'm signed up now for the organizations I support and I'm, we're not necessarily going to back out of that, right? We're going to keep it going. So mm -hmm. if you don't have that in place, time, time to add that, okay? Looking at the donor database, everybody has the database that they have and they have it at different levels. You know, there are people that are in there, some will get hit more than others. But if you look maybe perhaps for some angel investors, people who are in there that can help out, maybe to create a matching gift, right? Mm -hmm. People like challenges and matching gifts. So that's a way to do it. So before you start to ask for funds, put in place that one, two, three individuals or companies that are still pretty viable, okay? Remember, in these downturns, there are companies that do better than others. That's the way it works. So who's making money at this point in time, okay? Um, I see Federal Express trucks out here. I oh, see yeah. Amazon delivering, okay? Yep. Um, there's, you know, this is two examples. So who's doing that, right? Can they help out in this period in time? Obviously, you can't, the typical events are, are on the sideline right now. You can't have athletic events, you can't get people together. But I already see creativity in that. They're doing things online, you know, uh, using Zoom or others to get people together because people still have a need for social gathering. You know, lately I've been saying, based at, I was talking to a friend and he suggested, he said, you know, it's, it's not social distancing, it's physical distancing that we have, but mm. we still have the needs for social interaction. And yeah. so events that can be done, are done like, you know, through, through Zoom, but bring people together. You might have bands, people playing, you know, magicians, who knows what, but it's a way for people to kind of get something, they're supporting their community, but they're feeling a part of what's going on in an electronic age, which is the best that we can do at this point in time, okay? Um, so keeping, keeping all those in mind. I mentioned earlier about the grants from corporations and foundations. Check that out. Don't take that off your list, even though you may think you're not qualified. The earned income projects that I mentioned earlier. Crowdfunding. You know, you could get a very specific ask for crowdfunding. If, they, if, you, if you were hoping to get a truck of some sort and that fell through the cracks because you can't, it's not part of your core budget, well, maybe that's what you put up for crowdfunding because people like to support the funding of a particular thing that they can see that they said, oh, we got, we got this organization, another truck, who, we got something that might be specific. Um, plan gifts. This is not a time to take the gas pedal off of any effort you've made to do plan gifts. A lot of people, are going to be thinking about estate plans, hmm. right? I mean, a lot of older people, you know, unfortunately we see people once again, overnight. Now, if those people have had estate plans in place, that's okay. But if they don't, a lot of people might be wanting to do estate plans. So keeping in touch with attorneys and accountants and so forth to let them know that you have in place some planned gifts, particularly estates, bequests, you know, don't, don't forget about trying to make sure to remind people about that if they are doing their estate plans to include your organization in their will or bequest. Yeah, my brother is a, an attorney and I was chatting with him a little bit and he said, you know, morbidly but and jokingly, but hey, like, you know, it's a really good time for a lot of people to really be thinking about wills and estates, you know, and hopefully we don't get to that point. Hopefully, you know, that doesn't happen. But at least, you know, should the worst happen, you're prepared and the organizations that you care about that you want to make a difference, the causes you want to make a difference would, you know, really need that money now anyway. So right. although it is morbid, it is, I think, a great thing to really think about and, uh, you know, think about the meaningful, you know, the donors who have been part of your organization for a long time and maybe have indicated to you either directly or indirectly that that's going to be part of it. Just have a very frank conversation with them. Not an easy conversation to have. It's very, very uh, sensitive. Right. But, you know, something to think about. Well, and what you typically, the very basic kind of plan giving plan is to put out there the line, talk to an attorney and get the specific citation that one puts in their will, okay, mm -hmm. for a bequest, okay? There's various different ways to do it. But being in touch with estate planning attorneys, I know once again, as we talked earlier, people are handling calls, they're doing a lot of day-to-day -day stuff, but this could be a job for a board member, okay, right. who could take this on and do it, Right. Because you don't want to miss the opportunity that could possibly, tragically, 
could maybe come your way. That's just the way it is. Okay? Sure. And uh, also, like, if I can, what you said about uh, recurring gifts using credit card yeah. or, or transactions. Right. I mean, you know, for my wife and I, you know, we've been hit a little bit, not super hard yet, but the very last gifts that we would pull are the ones that are set up on recurring. You know, we sponsor a child in another country, you know, to provide exactly. food and, and what, I mean, those are going to be the last things that we pull. It's going right. to be sort of the, the optional giving, you know, that will go away first. And so the more people you can get on and keep on those recurring donation plans, the better off you're going to be in the long run. Absolutely. And once again, people, so organizations may have done that already, but this is, if you haven't, this is the time to do it. And people can understand, don't be asking for a specific amount of gifts. Take whatever you can get what the person wants to give. If they want to give you $5 a month, great. Take that. Mm -hmm. Because now you've got somebody who stood up and they said, I believe in your organization down the road. You can work with those people in many other ways. Keep them informed. Keep them sending them newsletters. Give, tell them stories about what's going on, how your organization is continuing to help people every day do whatever, okay? So mm -hmm. that's where the marketing and communications comes in. You can't back off of it. You got to have a plan and you got to move forward with it. You should have been doing it before. And if you're doing it, increase it. Don't decrease it. That's kind of one of the happens. Yeah. And I think the list, right, your list, your email list, your address list, like the list of previous donors, you know, the people who have supported you, that's going to be the best opportunity right now. Best, I mean, it's probably, yeah, not a great time, right, to launch a huge marketing campaign. Maybe it is, you know, but, um, well, but you if, if, if you do a, uh, once again, uh, the, uh, the, the crowdfunding, you may get, you may get new donors, right? Right, right. But it's hard, I, you know, and you can also say to your people all the time, your current, if you know anybody who shares the same sympathies as you do, please refer them to us. We'd be happy to take their money because people may have thought, wow, I never thought about this. You know, look at the Boys and Girls Club, just as an example. Those kids aren't going, where are they? They're at right. home. How do they get help? You know, what are they doing? Right. You know, the partners, kids, whatever it is. You know, there's organizations that, that could use some help. Um, and maybe in creative ways that, that weren't thought about before. Yeah. One, one, one more point about fundraising, and that's capital campaigns. This is not a time that you want to be launching a capital campaign. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, I won't mention it, but back in 2008, um, there was an organization that was contemplating it, and they asked me to do a feasibility study. And, you know, I, I kind of knew what the answer was going to be, and, and that was the case. That organization has subsequently waited, and now they're, they have achieved what they wanted to 10, 12 years later, but they've, they've achieved that, okay? Mm -hmm. So some, the timing is important on these things. For large gifts, people will definitely look at their stock portfolio, and they'll see what's going on. And right now, you don't want people to be looking in there any more than they have to. So right. if you're currently operating a capital campaign, my suggestion, my opinion, put it on hold. Okay, don't do away with it. Put it on hold. Spend more funds on trying to get shore up the rest of your organization that now wasn't counting on basically getting cut. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, and if you were thinking about it, just wait. Wait to see how the dust settles. Once again, in eighteen months, we may be back to where we were. Let's let's hope that that's the case, or even half back to where we were. Okay, sure. So just be that. that that's my word about capital campaigns. So how do you how do you tactfully tact yeah tactfully pause a capital campaign you know if you're let's say you're raising money for a building right and you've raised half the money i mean how do you what do you communicate with folks when you sort of quote unquote pull the plug on that you know you've already taken a bunch of money into your organization how do you you know it was earmarked for this purpose you may have to repurpose it like how do you communicate and, and navigate through sort of that process you let them know honestly what the situation is that right now you're trying to bail out the boat Hmm. Right. You, you, nobody anticipated this. Right. Nobody anticipated this level of of instant health crisis combined with instant recession. Nobody anticipated this. No, no hmm. plans anywhere had this level. And so in the face of that, letting donors know that you've had conversations internally, it, it's with sadness that you do this. We're not going to abandon it, but we're putting it on pause. OK. I mean, you see this from what the sports teams have had to do. They haven't necessarily abandoned the season at this point. They've postponed it, right? And so you communicate that you know, wholeheartedly 
to, um, to, the, to your supporters. You hold on to the money and hopefully whatever building you're trying to build or whatever. I mean, if you're building a building, I know this is another thing that happened. Um, when, once again, I was at Larico and that 80s had come down. There were builders in the mid 80s or the early 80s who were blowing and you know, they were doing a great when the economy started to slow down, they needed work. So they were willing to kind of do capital construction at far less the cost right. than just, you know, a year earlier, or two years earlier, right? So waiting sometimes is helpful because mm -hmm. you're going to get some of those construction companies to bid at a lower cost because they're trying to get jobs at this point, you know? So that's kind of the, the flip side on that. So Gotcha. So then let me ask a bit of a detail question. I know you're really involved here in the Northern Colorado community. What are you seeing? And again, we're very early in this process and, and things are developing, but as far as government or, you know, um, grant funding, anything in particular on the federal, state, or even the local level, because I know part of our audience is going to be local here. Um, what are you seeing from, you know, bills passing Congress, SBA, like, again, it's, it changes by the minute. So I understand that, but is there going to be help for nonprofits? Like what's your take on all that? Well, I hope so. Once again, it's very early and I, I honestly have not delved into it. I mm -hmm. hope to at some point as more information comes out. I, I generally stay on top of information in a general way, like everybody else does. And, and then kind of looking at the chronicle of philanthropy, I'm sure mm -hmm. we'll be covering uh, that a lot. So people should reference that if they haven't already uh, to go there and kind of look and see what they're saying about the latest uh, things on giving. But yes, I would imagine that nonprofits, at least some larger ones, I don't know if they're going to have a cutoff, should be eligible for some small business administration loans or whatever. They need to raise their hand because they're obviously in essential services. I don't know if it's in there, but I imagine they would have. So staying in, getting in touch with the small business administration, which is probably going to be overloaded, but keeping your, eye, uh, keeping your ear up. Uh, clearly, if we hear anything through, uh, through our efforts, we'll put that on the website or let people know about it, uh, the people who are who are already our clients or people that we've worked with before, we'll clearly let them know. Uh, I, do, I also do think that there are other efforts, uh, obviously there's a lot of efforts going on between the Community Foundation, United Way, other places. So they're probably becoming a repository. I know that we're talking about possibly doing that for third sector enterprises. Tyler, I know you've worked on something. Even if, it, even if it's a duplicate of what's going on, that's great. We can eventually take it off, but we maybe have something on our website up and running pretty shortly that would help nonprofits. What's going on? Where can I get this kind of resource? Yeah. And we really are sort of in, in the first inning here. I we think. really are. You know, yeah. trying to figure it out. And, and I don't know that anyone has definitive answers. You know, I think, you know, bills just passed or are in process of passing out. It's hard to even keep track of exactly what's happening. But yeah, we are at the time of recording, we are really in the thick of you know, trying to figure out what's going on. So Right, right. And um, I, think that's, I think that's important that we all stick together. I mean, I think that in our group with our third sector enterprises group, our associates have met several times. We've got a workshop coming up on um, April 21st. Maybe I'll refer to that. I don't know if it's 21st. No, I don't think it is. Um, I'll look. But, um, you know, we've, we're trying to do to collectively, and we've got a lot of talent that are, that are associates. Tyler, you're being one of them. We have a lot of other talent, and we're trying to say, look, what we need to do is try to get what we have done out to the organizations. This one that's coming up in April is free, and, uh, you know, it's going to be like, hey, let's have, you know, hopefully some good conversations. Trying to see, I think maybe is it the 14th? I think it's, yeah, the 13th or 14th. And again, I can post, uh, we'll include that in the notes below. So you can check that and make the sure you get it. I think it's okay. April 14th. And, you know, people should be getting, or already have received notices of it, maybe getting some other notices. But we're here to help. I mean, if somebody's listening to this and they want to contact me directly just to talk about it, I am available. I know there's other associates who would be available as well. And uh, you can just look me up. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're on the web. Um, and Tyler, you know, put out the number or whatever is going to be, but feel free to contact me. I have no problem having conversations. I want the nonprofit world to survive. I want it to come out better on, on the other side. So, so maybe with that in mind, Tyler, maybe I'll just have some closing comments. And Yeah, please. Anything you have for nonprofit leaders, founders, you know, people kind of in the thick of it right now, I'd love to hear. Yeah. Well, I kind of, like I said, if anybody needs some particular, so I've gone over a lot of stuff. If somebody needs some handouts, I've got that and I'd be happy to hand it out. 
Um, the other day, a friend of mine sent me something. You know, once again, if we look at charts. We look at charts relative to what's happened in the financial world. And when you look at the charts from when they've been tracking this, way back even in the 1800s, and think about it after the Civil War, right? There's been a steady growth of the economy. We go through bear markets, we have bull markets. We have bear markets, we have bull markets. You know, there's a lot of people that want this to succeed. America is, is, is really a great country. It always has been, okay? And it's been that way because of people, the intellectual wherewithal, people trying to figure things out. When you look at what's happening now, people are trying to figure things out in the healthcare world, okay? We're trying to do what we can do by staying at home and, and physically distancing. I believe that same creativity exists within the nonprofit world, that there are people that are in it today that may not have experienced these kinds of things, and they're gonna think of ways to do it that I've never thought about, or others haven't thought about. Great, let's try some new ways, and maybe those new ways of thinking will stay with us, even past when we get past the crisis, you know? I mean, people are working from home. More people are working from home. Maybe that's gonna be the, the norm, you know? What's gonna happen then? And so my, my closing comments are, don't lose faith, keep the faith going. Work as much as you can, as hard as you can. Think creatively, don't give in to fear, and we will get through this. We, we will come out of this and better than ever. At some point, we're gonna have a vaccine for this virus. At some point, the, the world's gonna be better because of it. I don't know when that's gonna happen, but we'll pray that it'll be sooner than, than later, but it will happen. Yeah. Thanks, I appreciate it. So if people want to reach out to you, they want to find out more about Third Sector yeah. Enterprises, uh, best place to do that would be where? Uh, art at thirdsectorenterprises.com is my email. Okay. Perfect. Phone number is 970-217-9969. You can call or text me. Okay. And then you go to our website, which is thirdsectorenterprises.com and check it out. You know, so that's the best way to get a hold of me or any of the other associates that might be listed on that on that website. Awesome, Art. Thanks a ton for coming on. I think this yeah. is going to be super valuable for uh, for nonprofit leaders, board members, etc. Right now, um, yeah. Let's uh, let's check in. You know, in a few months and sort of see how this thing yeah. shakes out. But I really appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you, Tyler, for thinking of it and appreciate it. And once again, good luck, everybody. Hopefully, I will physically see you at some point in time. That'd be great. Thanks, Art. You betcha.